I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. to the Buddha, the light, the divine within, in your seat, in yourself, your best self. Don't overlook it. Welcome. I'm Lama Suridas, the American Lama. Welcome to another episode of my Awakening Now podcast series on the Be Here Now Network, founded by Ramdas. And there are seven, eight, or nine of us teachers, friends, colleagues, comrades on the spiritual journey, podcasting on this Be Here Now Network, all wonderful, substantial bodhisattvas, compassionate, wise, and altruistic awakeners and lights in this world. So today, I'd like to talk about my late Dzogchen master, a great guru, the Dalai Lama's Dzogchen guru. Dzogchen is the natural great perfection or the ultimate teachings, highest teachings, mystical teachings of Tibetan Buddhism, of how to achieve enlightenment, realize enlightenment, realize your true nature and the world in this life, not after many lifetimes of schlepping towards enlightenment, as they say. So, Chen, this my guru, forgive the my, you know, our guru, Kinsi Rinpoche, Dingo Kinsi Rinpoche, was the Dzogchen master of the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama had a few principal gurus. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama himself said that Kinsi Rinpoche was the incarnation, was just like a Buddha. He was a great Buddhist master. And he was like the incarnation of Padmasambhava, the lotus-born guru. 
Guru Rinpoche, the precious master, who was invited by the king of Tibet in the early 8th century AD and walked from India to Tibet. Guru Rinpoche, Padmasambhava, the lotus-born guru, the precious master. And Kinsi Rinpoche, Dingo Kinsi Rinpoche, Kinsi Ozer, his name, which means the luminous light rays of transcendental wisdom and warm compassion, love and compassion in action, Kinsey Ozer. He was a great guru. He, he left this world in, I think, um, 1991. I was there in Bhutan, in Bhutan, in the Himalayas. I was there for his funeral and led some of the chanting, the Western Sangha, about 300 people. There were four different groups chanting around his cremation pyre. And I have a bone relic and a little stupa here, which I'll show you later, from that cremation. We consider it holy, like imbued with his own presence or physical blessings. Kinsey Rinpoche was a wonderful, loving master. Uh, he had another name, Rabsel Dawa, his personal name, which meant the rabbit in the moon. A sweet name. We love that. You can see this in a video, uh, a CD about his life called Brilliant Moon, as I was saying, Rabsel Dawa, the rabbit in the moon, or the perfect luminous moon, different translations, perfect luminous. Kinsey Rinpoche, Brilliant Moon, it's a great movie to watch, narrated by Richard Gere and the musician Lou Reed, late musician Lou Reed, who were disciples. Kinsey Rinpoche, as I said, was one of the great teachers of the Dalai Lama, His Holiness the Dalai, the 14th Dalai Lama. This is a nice relic. I don't know if you can see his signature here with gold pen. He, get, he did this for me. I, you know, gave him the picture. He asked him to sign it in the 1980s. I've always had it on my altar ever since. You can see him wearing the maroon and gold robes of the Tibetan Lamas of Tibetan Buddhism. Buddha wore yellow, but in the northern countries, the colors got a little darker. But Kinsey Rinpoche himself, he rarely wore a shirt. He was kind of well known for this. Of course, India and Nepal are a lot hotter than his native Tibet when he came out of there in 1959 when the Chinese communists uh, invaded that country and they're still occupying it and claiming it. Here he is on his high teacher's seat or Lotus Throne in his Shechen Monastery in Kathmandu Valley in Nepal. You can visit there in the village, Tibetan refugee village of Bodhanath, the awakening place, Bodhanath, where there's the great stupa or monument that people always visit and walk around for the last thousand or two thousand years. Kinsey Rinpoche, shirtless, beautiful, loving. He was like one of the Indian siddhas, the Mahasiddhas, who lived in the jungle, who hardly wore clothes, who were very lived simple lives, but so rich inner lives and radiating to one and all equally. He was a wonderful, loving, grandfatherly master, a Lama of Lamas. As I said, Lama, teacher of the Dalai Lama. Here's one of the books about him by Matthew Ricard, his great French disciple, Matthew Ricard, who was a venerable monk, also author, great translator, photographer, social activist, charitable activist, and so on, who lives in Nepal much of the time. 
continue the journey to enlightenment with a remembrance by the Dalai Lama himself. I recommend it. Kinsuvache was such a wonderful master. Here's another book about him, recommendable, The Autobiography of Dingo Kinsey Rinpoche, translated by the Dutch Anijimpa called Brilliant Moon, Rapsel Dao, his personal name. Here's the Himalayas. Here's one of my favorite pictures of him on the book he wrote. Of course, it's a Tibetan translating thing. It's called Enlightened Courage. We all need courage and even audacity, high aspiration to have the goal of helping all become awakened, enlightened, free, happy, and harmonious. Kinsi Rinpoche was a great, great Buddhist master, Lama of Lamas, teacher of the Dalai Lama of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, the Vidyadhara, who founded Naropa Institute in Boulder, the first accredited Western uh, Buddhist university in the Western world, Naropa University, and founder of the Shambhala centers around the world, Trungpa. And Kinsi Rinpoche was also the guru of Sogyal Rinpoche, author of the Tibetan book of Living and Dying, bestseller, and the founder of the Rikpa Fellowship International. He had uh, many great Lama disciples. He was a great Buddhist master, as I said. Um, I think I have another picture here of his main disciple, the great Trulshi Rinpoche. Here he is, who's still, oh, he, yes, he died recently in Nepal. Uh, he came to the West just a few times. Shoshi Gurche was one of his dharma as a main service. Here he is teaching us in a three-year retreat. And there's uh, me, I think, yep, in monastic robes through the 80s in those three-year retreats. I think here's Matthew Ricard, the French monk, author, social activist, great friend. And my retreat mates, all buddies and beloveds. Kinsuvache was so loving and equal to everybody, unbelievable. Um, here he is with some of his friends, colleagues, and disciples, the great late master Tuku Urgen Rinpoche of the Big White Monastery next to his, Karning Shedrup Ling next to Kinsuvache Shechen Monastery in Boda Village in Kathmandu Valley, Nepal, and Tuku Urgen's sons, and so forth. Pema Wangyal, my personal teacher, since 1972, on the roof of the monastery in Nepal. Oh, it's wonderful to see them. Um, Kinsi Rinpoche was a very non-sectarian. Kinsi Rinpoche was very non-sectarian, but he especially specialized in the Nyingmapa, the Way of the Elders, and Padmasambhava, the Lotus Born's teachings, Guru Rinpoche, who brought Buddhism to Tibet in the eighth, early 8th century, and um, is like a superhero. Somebody should make a superhero comic book about him and his magical powers, or even better, an animated movie. That would be wonderful. Uh, Kinsi Rinpoche embodied that master, as the Dalai Lama said, and had his, all of his enlightened qualities, as His Holiness said. This is a more modern statue of Guru Rinpoche Padmasambhava, the tantric master who brought Buddhism to Tibet 
and spread it and taught widely in the early 8th century AD. Guru Rinpoche, the precious master of Padmasambhava, the lotus-born master. Um, I have a lot of these things from my center, from my archives, in my library, on my altar at home and so on, accumulated since I was there in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and a little bit since recently in Tibet and so on. With Rinpoche and the other Rinpoches, the Dalai Lama, well, somewhat close to, he nicknamed me the Western Lama, the American Lama, Inji Lama, he always called me the Western Lama, the American Lama. He is so uh, loving and kind, may he live long. I was looking for a picture of me with Kinsumche. I have many of them, but don't have them in hand right now. Here's one in Nepal, in that refugee village of Bodhanath. Here's Kinsi Rinpoche, Dingo Chinsi Rinpoche, and his disciple Trilshi Rinpoche, I just showed you. I picture with me and Matthew and my retreat mates. And my satsang girlfriend from the 1970s, Suil, from Scotland. My sati, who um, was a Zen nun for six or seven years in Korea, learned Korean, was translated for her great master, Kusan, sitting in Nine Mountains, Suil. This is in the 90s in Nepal. And one more picture. Here in our three-year retreat, our second three-year retreat in France, Consumer Retreat Center, Here's the back of my head and ear, sitting on the floor in front of him. We're outside, sitting on the ground in front of him, excuse me, in my monk's robes. And here's Rinpoche. It was hot in southern France and the door done. And, and look at his face. Look at the look he's giving me. He was just so loving and grandfatherly. And he treated everybody like that. I remember as I got to know him, and lamas, sages, and saints don't usually tell their accomplishments or boast about their spiritual practice or disciplines or how long they've been doing it or talk about their dreams and visions or predictions. But as I got to know him, I noticed that although he was always traveling and teaching and staying in his monasteries in different places, but especially in Kathmandu, Nepal, and he stayed at his house near our retreat center every year in the late 70s and throughout the 80s, until he passed away around 1991. Rinpoche kept silent every morning from when he got up at four or five until nine or 10 and just sat on his bed and did his meditation and prayers and turning the pages of his homemade rice paper printed or handwritten prayer book and with his beads in, in his other hand but if people came in to see him, they would bow down, and he put his hand on his head and give him one of these loving looks, and then continue. So although he was deep in his practice for several hours, he still had enough bandwidth to bless the people coming to see him, high and low. And I've seen princes and Queen of Bhutan and the great masters come in and out to see him, and until 10 o'clock, usually, he wouldn't talk, but um, he would give them his hand blessing. He was truly a wonderful, open-hearted, I mean, it was almost transparent. He, his presence filled the whole room and the whole space around. He was so uh, warm and ex embracing and accepting and loving and giving and uh, unselfish and beautiful, compassionate, 
and wise. But even till the end of his life, he kept silent, did his practice, his meditation and mantras and prayers for four or five hours every morning, wherever he was in the world. And then again for some time at night. The great Dingo Chinsi Rinpoche. Such a wonderful, loving master. So he passed away in 1991 in Bhutan at a little house that the Queen of Bhutan gave him. Bhutan's the Himalayan principality. No, it's the Himalayan country, kingdom, between uh, India and Sikkim and Nepal, and on the other side, China. Uh, the Queen of Bhutan and the royal family of Bhutan are his disciples. He was the royal guru there. And um, I got to know the queen and her daughters who went to Wellesley a bit, and I slept in the king's library in the queen's palace when I was visiting Kinsey Rinpoche over the years. Anyway, Kinsey Rinpoche, Cab J, Kinsey Rinpoche, the, the lord of refuge, the lord of, of solace, Kinsey Rinpoche, Cab J, great master title. Uh, passed away there in 1991 or two, I think it was 91, and we went there for his funeral and cremation and things like that, and I slept in the King's Library and um, led the Westerner group into chanting sometimes. There were four groups around the cremation pyre and stupa monument in the middle of the big monastery's court, courtyard. And the Westerners, three or four hundred of us were on one side, and the Bhutanese monks and lamas and nuns were on another side, and the Indian ones or the different schools of Buddha, you know, were each on a side, the Kagyus on another side, the Nyingmas on another side. And we had practice, puja prayers, and prayers for him to return, and things like that, and for peace in the world, prayers for several days. So, according to tradition, in Tibetan Buddhism, the lineage, the tradition, the direct transmission, the blessing and energy, as well as the teachings and instructions, the blessings and energy through empowerments, through tantric initiations, are passed down through reincarnations. Of course, it could be from parent to child, father to son, or uncle or aunt to daughter or son, whatever. But Kin Simrupache was reborn. He passed away in 1991. He was reborn as the next one, Kinsi Yangtze, in the monastery next to Kinsi Rinpoche's. And this is him about 20 years old. And this is Kinsi Rinpoche's grandson, Rabjam Rinpoche, his Dharma heir and successor, who he left the monastery and his works to preserving and promulgating Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhism, Tantric Buddhism, the Diamond Path, Mantraya, Secret Mantrayana, as we call it in Tibetan, Sangak Dorje Tekpa, Secret Mantrayana, the Diamond Path, Vajrayana Buddhism, one of the three main schools of Buddhism. Southern Buddhism, or the Way of the Elders, Theravadan, the Northern Buddhism, including Zen and Mahayana, and Vajrayana Buddhism. Zen is like black and white photography. Tibetan Buddhism is more colorful, like psychedelic or color photography. Tibetans, monastics and practitioners wear maroon and gold or yellow. 
Buddha wore yellow as Buddhism moved north to Tibet, Mongolia, China, Korea, Japan. The colors got darker because it became colder and warmer. Cold, dark colors are warmer. Light colors are better for the summer, as we know. So the yellows and reds became maroon and, and brown in China and black and in, in Japan and so on. So Tibetan lamas like the Dalai Lama and all of us were the red and yellow, the maroon and orange, whatever you want to call it. You can see here. Kinsey Rinpoche was so... I guess we would use the word enlightened. It's a hard word to define, but let's just leave it there. He wasn't, he had trained his whole life, practiced something like 18 years in, in cave retreats in Tibet. He was quite tall for a Tibetan, which is unusual. And many of us, if we're familiar with Asians, there's a stereotype of the diminutive Japanese or Chinese and, and the large gringo, you know, Bawana, Sahib, a Westerner, colonialist. Kinsey Rinpoche was, I don't know, about as tall as me. I can't tell you in inches, and one should never exactly scrutinize and measure the body uh, the master, your master that way. It's way too gross and more tuned into the spirit and the inner connection. But in Dharamsala, where the Dalai Lama lives, when Kinsumache came to teach the Dalai Lama now and then, his nickname was Maitreya Buddha's coming. Because Maitreya Buddha, the next Buddha in the line of many Buddhas, our Buddha, Sakyamuni Buddha, who sat and got enlightened under the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya, northern India, near Benares, 2,600 years ago, Shakyamuni, Lord Buddha, the historical teacher. Compassionate Buddha was the fifth in the line, and Maitreya is supposed to be the sixth. And he's supposed to, when he comes, be seven feet tall and radiant and glorious in many ways. So they would call him Gyawa Champa or Buddha Maitreya. That was one of his nicknames. You can see Rinpoche because he's so tall. And, and his presence was so um, large, all embracing, inclusive, and uh, vividly. I guess he had charisma, if you want to put it in English. We call it authentic presence in Tibetan, Ziji. Splendid authentic presence, Ziji. And he had another nickname in, in, in Dharamsa, Mi Chiktangcheka, man and a half, because he was so tall, like Maitreya Buddha. So he was, a fa he was beloved everywhere, a lama of lamas, really, and so kind and generous and wise and loving and he he had been in retreat a very long time he had a reputation in tibet in especially in eastern tibet calm where many of my own personal lamas and masters and teachers came from the dalai lama lived more in central tibet lhasa the capital although he came from far eastern tibet and ken Rinpoche was in retreat for many years if you watch that movie, you'll see some animated, uh, there was no video or film back then, some animated footage of him going off to the cave and having visions of his meditation deity dissolving to him and of his guru and things like that animated. And um, he had many experiences. He started writing some 
songs, spontaneous songs of enlightenment, some commentaries on texts. He memorized a lot of texts, as was the tradition in the old world there. He sort of bridged the old world and the new. He was born in the late 1800s. He lived a long time. He was, he was a real bridge between the old world, the old ways, and the new, between East and West. And he eventually was invited to America and first came in, in Europe in, uh, I think it was 1974 or five, maybe it was five or six. I know he was at my friend's house in Woodstock, which he named Osel Ling on Bird Cliff Mountain, where his holiness, the Buddha Karmapa's KTD monastery is now in Woodstock. He was in France. Bernard Benson and Gerard Godet invited him to France, and Bernard Benson gave him some land and part of a castle where our three-year retreat eventually grew and took place. Three-year retreat center is still going on, which we started in 1980 with our first Dzogchen three-year retreat in the West that I participated in in 1980 to 84, and then again 1985 to 89, 8. Kinsey was so wise and loving. He was a constant waterfall. Now, the Tibetans say he was like a waterfall of teachings and blessings. He would talk, he, he could talk um, spontaneously. He had so much memorized. He had practiced so much. He had direct vision. He had opened his different chakras and channels. His throat chakra was totally open, and there was inexhaustible treasures coming out and mystical visions. He was a tertan, a treasure revealer, like a visionary. He was a scholar. He was a um, social and spiritual activist, a bodhisattva, building clinics and schools and retreat centers and infirmaries, feeding the poor people. He left behind, I think, 20 or about 18 volumes of writing books uh, in Tibetan, some of which are translated, some of which have been published by Shambhala Publications and others, Matthew Ricard and Rabja Rinpoche and Kinsunche's reincarnation, the Yangtze Rinpoche, are responsible for keeping all this tradition going, east and west, in their different monasteries, meditation centers around the country, and in Bodh Gaya, India, and uh, around the country of India and Nepal, the subcontinent, and also in other places, Southeast Asia, Europe, and America, especially in Dordogne, France, where our three-year retreat center, Sojourn Retreat Center is, and goes on. Kinsey Rinpoche was so kind to me. He said unbelievable things. I have many notes and notebooks, you know, from our te teachings and initiations. He, he, uh, he saw through us, but he was unbelievably kind and understanding. We used to laugh that there's sort of two kinds of gurus, like the bad cop and the good cop. And the good cop is very kind and grandfatherly. The bad cop is more cutting and sharp and intense, like Chagyam Trump Rinpoche, late, like late Chachul Rinpoche, were wrathful gurus, the peaceful gurus, like Kali Rinpoche, more Jesus-like, like, like um, Dejong Rinpoche, like, like Kinsey Rinpoche, so grandfatherly. But I remember also he visited me and all of us in dreams, and sometimes we got, receive teachings or empowerments or emergings and light and dreams. Um, but some things he said in English have stayed with me, like, I'm translating from Tibetan. The mind is sheer lucency. 
mind is sheer lucency, right? Clear light, luminous. Another thing he said, but, and these are profound teachings. I mean, I could talk about the basic teachings he gave all day because he taught all levels of the path, of course, and practices meditation, yoga, Tibetan energy yoga, chanting, the six yogas, Mahamudra, the ultimate perspective, Dzogchen, the natural great perfection, Lamdre, the path and the fruit. He taught view meditation in action, the three main points of Dzogchen by Patra Rinpoche. Six Omedic, and so many wonderful things, compassion and loving kindness practices, altruistic mind training, ego reduction, low jung we call it, attitude transformation practices, low jung and tonglen, putting yourself in the other's place, empathizing, tonglen, sharing, giving, taking, tonglen. He said, uh, another time he said, I don't remember if it was to us in our three retreat or to me personally. My mind and yours are not separate. When you realize and recognize your true nature, you're, you're, you're seeing me, which is not just me either, meaning going back to the Buddha and Padmasambhava. When you see your own true nature, you're seeing the lineage's true nature, the nature of enlightenment, which is in each and all of you. That's an unbelievably radical statement in a world where people think some are inferior by race or gender, in a world where women can't be priests or enlightened or, you know, saints or even drive a car and get educated in some countries. It goes back to the Buddha 2,600 years ago. His radical war cry was, everybody can become as light, as enlightened as this one by following, by uh, cultivating this kind of eightfold path, eight steps to enlightenment, the way of awakening. So that's been a great inspiration to me. And the Buddha himself, the historical compassionate Buddha, the teacher who lived 563 B.C. to 483 B.C. in northern India and was born a prince in southern Nepal, which is part of India then. The Buddha said that, well, he broke the caste system and he freed women and he was first to educate women in mass. He was one of the early ecologists and tried to protect the waters and the trees and so on. He exhorted his disciples to each plant a tree every year to replenish the good earth for the resources we've used up. He was a real social reformer and activist. That's what naturally flowed when the sun of wisdom rose within him and blossomed into enlightenment. And came and timeless wisdom naturally radiated or took form, expressed itself and manifested in the world as timely action. Timeless wisdom becomes timely action. The sun of wisdom rises within you and it's rays of compassion and altruism, empathy, generosity and virtue, morality, helpfulness, unselfishness naturally radiates for the benefit of one and all. So Kinsey Rinpoche and other teachers like him embody this and teach us how to be like that. If we can do it, you can do it, they say. Not just one, only one begotten son in ancient history, but anybody can become awakened, anybody can become Buddha-like, male or female, learned or illiterate, smart or dumb. Let me go further. 
Buddhist or otherwise. You don't have to be a card-carrying Buddhist to practice and cultivate mindfulness and awareness, loving-kindness and compassion on the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment and realize it yourself, realize enlightenment, awaken to what we truly are, as it says in these Ojen natural great perfection teachings that Kinsey Roche embodied and represented. As it says, we're all Buddhas by nature, not Buddhists, God forbid. We're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize who and what we are. As my late great teacher Kalu Rinpoche, who was the Dalai Lama's uh, six yogas teacher and a Mahmudra teacher of his, Kalu Rinpoche, the vener very venerable Kalu Rinpoche, who passed away in 1989, and I happened to be there at his monastery in Darjeeling, in Sonata, where I studied long in the 70s and 80s. He, not, yeah, he used to quote the Laughing Diamond Tantra, the Hibadra Tantra, which says, we're all Buddhas by nature. It's only temporary obscurations which veil that fact. So that's the true meaning of awakening and enlightenment, to recognize our true nature, our Buddha nature, our highest self, if you want to talk in, in Hindu terms, uh, our best side, become who we truly are and can be, not just our bent out of shape, conditioned self. But really achieve self-mastery, not control freak. Self-mastery rather than being a victim, vulnerable to conditions and circumstances. But realize our agency, how we can walk the path, how cause and effect karma, causation and conditioning works, karma in a word, how we can plant the seeds of good karma and get good results. If we plant the unwholesome seeds, we get unwholesome results. Positive, wholesome seeds get wholesome results. That's the law of karma. That's how it works, friends. Check it out. Have you noticed some people seem to be accident-prone at the wheel of the car? Don't we notice? Maybe they're inattentive or have faulty equipment or inebriated or something, distracted. These are not accidents. Accidents have causes. There's really no such thing as accidents. They have causes. So when we get our hands on the steering wheel of our life, when we put our hands on the tiller of our ship, we can steer it a lot better, as well as be more vulnerable and surrender to what is and how it goes. But balance doing and being, not just be passive and blown by the winds of karmic conditioning, like leaves before the storm. We can learn how to set our sails better. We can learn how to navigate better, and even how to tack up wind like a sailboat, not just be blown away by the prevailing winds. So Kinsey Rinpoche taught us many of these things. He came to France a lot in the 70s and 80s. He lived mostly in Nepal, but he went to Bodh Gaya and built a monastery there, wonderful monastery that Rabjim Rinpoche runs, and Minjur Tuku spends a lot of time there, now has a monastery too there with Karmapa, the great Minjur Rinpoche, English-speaking master. Much recommended. You can read his book, The Joy of Living, wonderful master, comes to America now and then, teaches in English, enlightened young master, he may be sturdy now, reincarnation of my original Zogchen master, Kanjuro Rinpoche, and another Kagyu master, 
evolved. Tukubinja Dorje from 500 years ago. Kinsi Rinpoche had gathered, and they gathered to him like iron filings to a magnet, many of the young Tupus and Kempos, avid professors of our non-sectarian practice lineage. The Rimei you can hear him, Dalai Lama, and many talk about non-sectarian inclusiveness today rather than sectarian partisanship like we see in American politics, such a problem. And many of these tukus have become quite well known in the world. Zangsa Chinsi Rinpoche, yes, same name, they're rays of the same enlightenment, they say. Zangsa Chinsi Rinpoche, Jamyang Norbu, made the movie The Cup about boys playing soccer in his monastery in India that won the first film award for first film director at Cannes Film Festival has made other movies, Magicians and Travelers and things like that. He's a wonderful, interesting, irreverent, iconoclastic Lama. Uh, Sogil Rinpoche, as I said, Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, so many others, interesting, important teachers, now somewhat spread out all over the world. And all of us practice what Kinsir Rinpoche taught us formally and explicitly in the form of meditations and prayers and mantras, and also emulating him, how he was, how he accepted everybody equally, how he woke up in the morning and went to sleep at night wishing well for the world, so benevolent and praying for world peace and healing. He had a long list of people that he prayed for and everybody who asked him to pray. I remember once I was visiting in Sikkim, the 16th Karmapas Monastery, Rumtek, and I went into Sikkim to see another great Rinpoche, Dodrip Chen Rinpoche, who's still alive, one of the grand old men of Sikkim and Tibetan Buddhism and the Nyingma Pazokje. Dodrip Chen Rinpoche, who has a small retreat center in western Massachusetts, Mahasiddha Center in West Hawley, comes every two years. Dodrip Chen. And some of our friends in common told me that Kinsi Rinpoche was in Gangtok because he was teaching the young Tukus, the reincarnate lamas, and the kempos, the abbot professors, and the monks and nuns in Rumtek, which was about 20 miles away, up and down steep hills in that mountainous little valley country of Sikkim, so beautiful and green. And somebody said their mother was in the hospital in Gangtok, the capital, and he went immediately. They must have had some karmic connection. He went in person. They requested his prayers, and he went in person, left the Karmapas Monastery and went and spent the day going and coming and visiting that elder lady, devotee, in the hospital. And everybody was amazed that he cared so much about just hiring one person and how giving and generous he was. So that's such an inspiration to me. And it's a high standard, like the Dalai Lama sets. But we all pray and practice and wish to be able to be more like that. We don't have to be perfectionists, but we could all be more like that a little bit at least. More of a bodhisattva, an altruistic, compassionate awakener, a spiritual activist, a healer, and a light in the world. Kinsirimche still comes to me in dreams, even though he left this world, as they say, entered nirvana, maybe. I mean, people have very different words to say. In 1991, I went back 
with my Kempo to Bhutan in 1994 to see his reliquary stupa. And I have the bone relic here um, from his cremation pyre, which I keep on my altar very preciously. And I want to build a outdoor monument to put it in where people can see it and get blessings. So this is the great consumer Pache cremated in 1992 in Pyro, Bhutan, near the Queen's Palace. And they made a stupa in, in Japanese or Chinese, they call it a pagoda. In, in India, it's a stupa, a monument shaped like this, kind of like a spaceship, and there's eight different kinds. But the Buddha's ashes were divided up when he was cremated 2,500 years ago. and in these holy pilgrimage places in these stupa monuments. And so here's a little re replica, and inside this little vial is the bone relic uh, that the lamas, my lamas, got one, you know, a few of them from the cremation ashes, and Tukupen Wangyal and Rabdrum gave me one. So it's very dear to my heart. I also have some ashes of the Karmapa and one some hair from my late Yosho Kempum tree and a few other relics and some of their shirts and llama robes and vajras and bells, ritual implements and beads and so on. And these are good for conveying the blessings of the Buddha and the lineage to people who ask me for that. When I think of my late guru and Dzogchen master, root guru we call in Tibetan, because one might have many teachers over the decades in a, in a lineage, and the invisible array of all of them coming down from the time of Buddha until now, I feel is always with me, just like my par late parents are always with me, not like ghosts, but I know what they think about what we're doing today, and you know, what they would wish for, and as the holiday comes, they're very conspicuous by their absence. The holiday season here, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Hanukkah, and New Year's. But I know what they're thinking, and they're always with me. Similarly, my root gurus, Kinsi Rinpoche, Kali Rinpoche, Yosha Kempa Rinpoche, the late 16th Karmapa, and Kanja Rinpoche, etc., Tukurigen Rinpoche. Rinpoche means precious jewel or highest master. Even the Dalai Lama, who's usually called the Dalai Lama, which he's the only one that has that title, the oceanic highest without a peer. That's what that means. It's actually a name given by the Mongol emperor or something like that. It's a name in Mongolian, I think, Dalai. But in Tibetan, we call him Galwa Rinpoche, the supreme Rinpoche, or the Galwa for the Buddha, and precious jewel master. So... M many of the Tibetan masters, the great old venerable masters, and some are not even that old, but maybe they have some reincarnation resume history. So they're called Tuku, Incarnate Lama, and before, or Rinpoche. Everybody has that name. That's like a title. Chogim Trungpa, Rinpoche, etc. So usually the name comes before, like in this case, Dingo Chinsi Rinpoche. Kinsu Rinpoche was a monk for a long time in caves and all. 
and perhaps when he was 45, 40 or 50, he was sick, and one of his gurus predicted if he took the proper consort, he would live long, and if he didn't, he would probably expire in the cave life or something. So they found, they did some prayers and vision, vision quests and Tibetan dream yoga, lucid dreaming and other things that transparent, awakened-minded lamas can do. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And they found a young woman working, who was of good family, working in the fields a few valleys over. And they went and tried to find her. You know, there was no phones and communications in, in all Tibet in the early mid-20th century. And they talked to her parents. And then they brought her back. And it was, this uh, girl was 16 years old. And she didn't even have time to change into a more celebratory, like, wedding dress or anything. And uh, two or three monks and Kempo's avid professors had gone to look for her. And it was the first time she was ever away from her parents overnight. And she, they were sleeping on the ground or maybe on some blankets, coming back for a few days, walking through the Himalayas a few valleys over to bring her to Kinsir and Pache's cave. And she said she was frightened, but one of them was very, even though they were monks, they're not supposed to touch women generally. He was so kind and compassionate, he, 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 he like invited her, beckoned her kindly he was a little older probably, to, to sleep near him, and she got over it somewhat. Remember, she was 16 years old and never been away from home. And she came, she tells this story in, in some little autobiographical interviews. Some of my Western uh, Sangha friends, Western lamas, uh, did with her before she died, Kandrula. And she, they brought her to the cave mouth, and Kinsi Rinpoche was sitting there doing... looking very austere in the cave, holding his, his, his breath here for a couple of minutes, many times, and breathing, and things like that. And she was so scared. <laughs> uh, it's not all a fairy tale, I'll tell you. It, you know, the path isn't always easy. And this is the old world, how things were done, you know, like arranged marriages and things that still go on in India and Japan more than you would think, a lot. And so this was probably the 1930s or 40s, and uh, way before the Chinese invaded. And then Kin Pache kind of came out of his samadhi or deep meditation, and he smiled at her and beckoned her to his seat on the floor of the cave, and the monks, you know, helped arrange things and make it somewhat com more comfortable. And uh, she stayed with him until he died in 1991 or two. And they had two daughters, and uh, I, I know them. One of them unfortunately died when she, in college in New Delhi at a young age from brain fever or encephalitis or something. It was heartbreaking. And the other one is still alive used to run National Museum of Bhutan. I think she's retired now. So as she had a grandson, 
and that's Rab Jim Rinpoche who took over for Kinsey Rinpoche of his monastery. A wonderful friend. He was so uh, kind and generous to us, and you could ask him anything. He seemed to be like a bottomless well of blessings. To be with him, you would feel, I, I felt, my friends, Sangha friends felt there was nowhere else to be and nowhere else to go and nothing to do, even though many of us were traveling through India and Nepal and Sikkim all the time, or the visas ran out, or the, the weather changed, you had to leave the mountains because it was Himalayan winter and go down to the warm Indian plains to Benares or Bodh Gaya or some other teacher's place. He taught us every day. He never held back. He taught us the secret teachings, the secret initiations. He loved us like his own children. We all felt that way. Just like my first guru, Nim Karoli Baba. He was just so loving and kind. But Nim Karoli Baba didn't teach content so much. Kinsey Mukche was a learned and enlightened master. And people always asked him for to teach these big Buddhist sutras or tomes or instructions or personal meditation instructions sometimes for months sometimes for a week sometimes all day sometimes for three months and he would teach all day every day people in that refugee village or boat still talk about one teaching he gave on mandala offerings part of the Vajrayana diamond path basic practices and you make a hundred thousand mandala offerings to cultivate generosity and good karma and merits and good fortune and so on. This, and it's just one of the fundamental practices, four or five of the Nundro, the preliminary practices of Vajrayana Buddhism. And they're still talking about the talk he gave that lasted all day on that one subject without referring to texts and all the citations and quotes and wise sayings and tips and pointers, a whole day just on that subject. That great teaching is kind of legendary. <laughs> That's where they always, always say he was like a waterfall that never ended and is always sounds beautiful and uh, bubbly and kind of um, sparkling. He was such an inspiration. He's always with me. I meet him every, almost every day in my meditation practice. I love him, respect him. He was the master of our three-year retreats, the traditional three-year, three-month, three-day Lama training. He had huge hands and fingernails. He wore a ring like this on both his ring fingers, which is unusual. He didn't wear a shirt. Sometimes he put on a shirt, like the, when the Dalai Lama came, he got dressed up out of respect. <laughs> there are great pictures of him with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and with Kala Rinpoche and with everybody, young and old. And with us, he was just so wonderful. I can't talk enough about him and how he brought Padmasambhava's Dzogchen teachings out in the modern world and bridged East and West and brought it to America and Europe. He started the three-year retreats in Europe along with Kala Rinpoche and then in America and taught Trump Rinpoche's Vajradhatu and Shambhala people, Dzogchen, many, uh, many times. 
Uh, he presided over Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche's cremation ceremonies for several days in Vermont in about 1986. He was the main lama, even though there was 10 or 20 lamas there. He was so respected by Trungpa Rinpoche and everybody. He gave us a lot of wise and helpful teachings and personal insights and instructions. After my eight or nine years in those three-year retreats in France, then I started going back and forth to America to visit my family and to Nepal and India to see other teachers or to go on pilgrimage or to translate from my campo and things like that. And people started to invite me to teach and lead retreats, especially the Vipassana teachers, the mindfulness teachers, some of whom have podcasts on this Be Here Now network, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Joan Halifax, Roshi, and Ram Das and others. I asked Kitsi Rinpoche to bless it for permission. And he said yes, and he wrote a letter and uh, saying that I was his disciple and was qualified and authorized. And then he said a memorable thing. He said, like the Buddha, we're not missionaries. Of course, I'm translating Tibetan. We're not proselytizing and pushing it on anyone. So go, go when asked. Go whenever asked. Go wherever invited. Teach whenever asked. Don't go, you know, don't push yourself to teach or convert people. And he said, contribute to others. Don't try to convert others. And the Dalai Lama says this too. You can hear him say it in English. Rumi Kitsumache was one of his teachers. So as I was saying, he's always with me in spirit. Whenever I practice Dzogchen, let's say, I meet him, his mind, his Buddha mind, in mind, inseparably. I hope I'm like a pseudopod, one of his pseudopods, continuing his altruistic, compassionate, enlightening bodhisattva mission, his Buddha activity in this benighted world. Awakening, illumining, healing, restoring, rebalancing the world, humanity, and all beings, and our endangered planet. So if you feel inspired, if you're interested, you can follow this up or do your own practice and spiritual path. Sometimes when I watch the Olympics or the World Series, which just ended with the Cubs winning, we love that. Even though we're equal to all, they hadn't won in a long time. One loves and one the underdog. When I see those great athletes, male and female and other, we have so many categories today, L, B, Q, and so on. I think if we only practice the Dharma like those Olympic athletes, if we only meditated like those musicians who practice and play 10, 12 hours a day all year round for so many years, it would be a very good thing. It would be beautiful. So it is beautiful. Being here while getting there every step of the way. Being there while getting there every step of the way, not waiting until after we die. Awakening now. 
So thank you. This has been the Awakening Now podcast on the Here Now Network. Love to one and all. Lama Suridas, the American Lama disciple of His Holiness Dingo Kinsey Rinpoche. One mind, one heart with you too. Why not? Who the Buddha? You. Duh. Of course. Awaken now. treasure so timely and needed today when timeless wisdom is like an endangered natural resource that we overlook and ignore at our peril thank you one and all again bowing to the buddhaness in your seat please don't overlook it <laughs>